Well, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, we're going to be looking at uh, this morning at, uh, in our message time, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. If this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, my name is Randy. And our message time here at Windsor Road, we typically just uh, go through a book of the Bible. And so... Um, uh, Last month we finished a series on the Old Testament book of Ruth, and this month we're here in the New Testament uh, book of 2 Timothy. And I've titled our series, uh, 2 Timothy. (laughs) Kind of catchy, isn't it? It's clear. It's very clear, isn't it? Actually, the title is Finish Strong, because that's really the dominant theme of Paul's second letter to uh, Timothy. And uh, we're going to be reading uh, uh, and studying verses 1 through 13 this morning. It's on page 842 of your church Bibles. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, you can take this navy blue uh, Bible in front of your uh, pouches and uh, just put your name in it and bring it home as our gift uh, to you. And Second um, Timothy 2, 1 through 13, page 842. It's also up on the screen. You then, my son, Paul's talking to Timothy. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will be also qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. This is God's word. And this is Officer Boltinghouse. No. uh, There, there we go. Oh my goodness, talk about getting derailed. Last Thursday, our family was in Springfield at the Illinois State Police Academy where they train uh, the local law enforcement recruits 
And uh, Benjamin just completed his 13 weeks. He had graduated from the U of I last year. And over the past year, he's been applying to different law enforcement agencies. We thought uh, at one point that he was going to be uh, serving uh, border patrol duty, uh, which would put him somewhere in the southwest. Uh, But uh, in the midst of that process... Uh, the Decatur Police Department uh, hired him, and so he's an hour away in, instead of 20 hours away. So anyway, we're all happy about that. And Thursday was the completion of uh, uh, 13 weeks of, uh, the way they do it over there, it's a paramilitary uh, environment. So uh, they get out of the cars with their bags, and they are immediately uh, encouraged. We'll just put it that way. Uh, and uh, so for 13 weeks, uh, they lived in this environment. And, and the commander of the academy, tongue-in-cheek at the graduation ceremony, talked about, he said this. He said, recruits, this is the easiest 13 weeks of your entire law enforcement career. He said, think about it. For 13 weeks, you haven't had to prepare a meal For 13 weeks, you haven't had to do the dishes. For 13 weeks, you haven't even had to wash your bed linens. It's all been done for you. For 13 weeks, uh, we have uh, given uh, the courtesy of uh, telling you when we think you should wake up in the morning and uh, and when we think it's a good idea for you to go to bed and then when... um, when, uh, uh, when we would like for you to walk, and where we would like for you to walk, and where we would like for you to look when you walk. And we've, we've given you the courtesy of telling you uh, where to put a pen on your desk when uh, you're done using that pen. We've encouraged you along the way. And this is the easiest 13 weeks of your law enforcement career. And um, now, the work comes. As a part of the commencement uh, ceremony, um, we gathered outside for a ringing of the bell, a ringing of the bell, and it is a protocol where each of the recruits go up to this beautiful bell, and they ring it, and and two things are going on. One, they are remembering former officers who have served and uh, who have fallen in duty, and then also what's going on is they are ringing themselves into duty. So it's, it's a commissioning. And so we heard 45 of uh, 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 the recruits uh, ring uh, the bells into duty. And, uh, and at the conclusion of, of the ringing of the bell, then they fell into formation. And, and at the very close, uh, the president of the class, the leader of the, of the class, Um, gave this liturgy and actually quoted from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. The president said, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And at that moment, all 45 recruits shouted back at the top of their lungs, Here am I, send me. And you could have heard a pen drop. And then the tears just came. It was this, this holy moment of commissioning and sending out uh, to hear from those who have chosen a vocation 
uh, that will take them into harm's way for the sake of others. For the sake of others. Here am I. Send me. I really think that's what the Apostle Paul wants to hear from Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I really do. The Apostle Paul is in prison. He's not going to get out alive. This is not like his first imprisonment at the conclusion of the book of Acts where he was in a rented house for a couple of years. This is a different kind of... Imp- this is pr- See, the Romans did, uh, did not send you to prison as punishment. Uh, they, they, would, they wouldn't spare the expense for that. They wouldn't do that. They, uh, the Romans held you in prison to confine you until the verdict on your case was delivered. And if you were acquitted, you were free from prison. If you were not acquitted, and you were, if you were held guilty, then the punishment would come. And the punishment might look like a, a lifetime in, in the mines. It might look like uh, being exiled to an island, much like the Apostle John, the island of Patmos. It might look like a beating. Uh, it might look like uh, uh, the stripping of citizenship, and you would become a slave. Uh, or it might be a capital punishment. A beheading, which was the Apostle Paul's case. So he's waiting in this prison for his verdict, and he's pretty certain. I mean, he's certain here. You can read between the lines in the book of 2 Timothy that he's not going to get out of this thing alive. Uh, He is going to die, and he is trying to get a letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, and he's trying to get a message through to Timothy, and somehow he's able to dictate this letter so that it can get to his son in the faith, and the message is very, very clear. It's a message of endurance. He wants his son in the faith to endure. I want you to endure by grace for the sake of others. Timothy, Jesus endured I am enduring, I'm enduring in prison, and now it's your turn. You must endure. The gospel message continuing, the truth of heaven continuing, feeding, transforming lives is now, at least at Ephesus, that's in your, that's on your responsibility now, Tim, and you need to endure, endure hardship. And, and, and Paul is unclear as to Timothy's uh, sense of resolve in this matter, which is why the Apostle Paul has had to tell Timothy, like in chapter 1, verse 8, don't be ashamed. And, 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 and that's why he's having to say, you know, uh, um, fan into flame the gift of God. Fan up, fan into flame, draw on the power. God didn't give us a spirit of timidity. You know, it's Right now, Paul's worried that Timothy is saying something like this. Here am I, send Titus. Well, Titus is in Crete right now. And that's a whole other sermon series. No, you need to endure, young man. And by young man, he's in his 30s. You need to endure by grace for the sake of others. Uh, That's what... We read in verse 10. Verse 10 is the bullseye of this passage. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. 
Endure, Timothy. Endure by grace for the sake of others. Now I wonder if Timothy is the only one who needs to hear this challenge from the Apostle Paul. I just wonder. I wonder if Paul's challenge to Timothy is his challenge to us here this morning. I'm almost certain it is. Some of us, you know, we've come here today and we're in our nice church clothes, etc. And yet, deep down inside, some of us are thinking of not enduring. We're thinking of quitting. Some of us are considering quitting our, our vocation, our calling, whatever it is God has called us to do. Some of us are thinking about quitting a relationship. Some of us are thinking about quitting marriage. Some of us are thinking about quitting their faith. You know, it's just like, God, I don't know why you're doing this. I'm just going to, I don't, I, I'm done. I'm done. See? And maybe, maybe, you know what? Maybe you said, I'll, I'll, I'll go through June, but after starting July, it's a new, new season without God. There it is. I don't know if that's where you are here today. And you know what? If that's where you are here today, you're not going to find one judgmental bone in my body. I mean that. Because if anybody needs to hear this message, it's people in my business, in my industry. Here's what I mean by this. Um, according to the uh, Francis Schaeffer Institute, did you know that 1,500 ministers quit every month in the United States? That's, that's not just one survey of maybe a 200 ministers. That, that's several surveys over several years of at least 1,000 ministers interviewed. Uh, some years it's 1,300. Sometimes it's 1,700. I'm just splitting the difference. 1,500 ministers quit the ministry every month. 89% have said that they've considered leaving. 50% say they would if they had a better place to go. See? Uh, one in 10 seminary graduates. So, so you take a, a young student who goes to college and then goes to seminary, graduates with their master divinity in their 20s, enters the ministry. One in 10 of those will actually retire as a pastor. And it's not hard to understand why. Um, 90% of pastors surveyed say they work between 55 to 75 hours every week. Okay? Uh, and, and, and the reason for so many hours varies. Some of them are new church plants. And if you're a new church planner, I mean, you've got to be there to make things happen. Others are in demanding situations, very difficult situations, um, high-stress situations. And that's why they're working 55 to 75 hours a week. And quite frankly, some are working 55 to 75 hours a week because they just flat aren't organized. And they're inefficient. And they fritter their day away because they don't have as much accountability as they need to have. 
80% say that pastoral ministry has negatively affected their family. 50% feel unable to meet the high demands of the job. 90% feel inadequately trained. And in some of these situations, uh, ministers self-destruct, okay? Uh, Some of them get caught in sexual sin. Uh, Other ministers um, quit because they have not taken care of themselves physically. They don't work out, they they don't eat right, and eventually it catches up. Uh, Some have not taken uh, taken care of themselves spiritually. Uh, 75% have said that they don't regularly feed themselves with prayer and Bible study. How can you pastor otherwise? (laughs) So... So Paul's words to Timothy are his words for all of us. Endure. Endure by grace for the sake of others. Endure by grace for the sake of others. That's the big idea here in verses 1 through 13. Now, that big idea answers the two questions that I want to cover here in the time that remains. Uh, First, how... Does God want us to endure? And then secondly, why does God want us to endure? First, the how. We'll spend most of our time on that. How? Well, endure by grace. By grace, that's in verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul's words to Timothy are not, Look, son, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Let's go. That's not it. Paul says, no, I want you to endure by grace. I want you to be strong. Or you could put it this way. Timothy, let yourself be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let your endurance be strengthened. Now, what does that look like? Let yourself be strong in the grace that's in Christ. Well, you would expect a pastor to say something like that in a place like this. It sounds spiritual and it sounds rather churchy. Endure by grace. Okay. Well, what does that look like? Quite simply, I've come to the conclusion in looking at uh, throughout this entire paragraph, Paul, Paul says, you've, Timothy, you've got to be a person of prayer. Prayer. You've got to pray. Prayer expresses utter reliance on God. Prayer is our declaration of dependence. And then believing and trusting that God will supply the strength you act for, then you move out to do his work and his will. I think that's why Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. I think that's why Paul says in verse 7, reflect on what I'm saying. Meditative prayer. Filling your mind with spiritual truth. I think that's why verses 11, 12, and 13 are there. Here is a trustworthy saying. Well, why is it there? Because it's worth saying. It's worth repeating. It's worth meditating on. It's worth getting into your soul. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Over and over again, the, 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 the enduring Believer needs to fill their heart and soul with the truth of God's word. I can tell you this much, not being strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus comes from little prayer, little risk-taking, and little peace. When, I, when I'm not praying, 
I'm not going to be strong, and therefore I'm not going to take much risks for Christ. I'm not going to try to have spiritual conversations or engage or initiate gospel conversations because I'm just going to be too afraid, you see. And when I'm not strengthened by God's grace, there's a lot of anxiety going on in my life, see. But when I'm committed to meditative prayer on the truth of Christ, then his truth keeps my spirit in his custody and there's peace in my life. See, I think that's what Paul's getting at there. And when I'm enduring, my life will look like, and then, and then in these verses, Paul gives four word pictures, four um, metaphors Four metaphors of what an enduring life looks like. Teacher, soldier, athlete, farmer. Okay? You remember the movie Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? Right? Well, this is Paul's movie. Okay? This is Paul's movie. Teacher, soldier, athlete, farmer. Let's talk about each of those. First, the teacher. That's in verse 2. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Timothy, you need to train teachers who will train teachers to train others. That's what I want you to do. So, so, so there's four generations here. Did you get that? So if I'm Timothy, Paul says, uh, Timothy, and the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, generation number one, Timothy, you're generation number two, and trust to reliable men or qualified men or capable men or teachers, that's generation three, who will also be able to teach others. So you need to train teachers who will train other teachers. Four generations here. Why does Paul want Timothy to do this? Well, two reasons. Number one, Timothy's not going to live forever. So he needs to transmit the gospel message, gospel content, and gospel lifestyle to the next generation. You've got to be thinking about that. That's, the, that's, that's one reason Tim's not going to live forever. How did you become a Christian? Because someone who was entrusted with the message of the gospel shared that with you. Well, how'd they get it? Someone shared it with them. And all the way back 2,000 years to Jesus Christ. Timothy's not going to live forever. And also, second reason is Paul's not going to live forever. Paul wants Timothy to come to see him. And in order for Timothy to do that, he's got to have coverage. He's got to, he's got to get the bases covered. And he wants him, you need to come before winter. Why? Because they're going to make a verdict any time. That's why. You need to get here. So, Tim, the first next thing I need you to do is make sure your bases are covered. Get to the elders of the church in Ephesus. Get to qualified, godly, faithful, reliable, skilled teachers who will teach gospel truth. What is the gospel truth? Well, we just remembered Jesus in communion, didn't we? Verse 8. Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. See, he, 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 that's the gospel in a zip drive right there. He compresses the gospel message into that very compact statement. Raised from the dead, seed of David. He's the qualified Messiah, not only for Israel, but the world. Make sure they get trained and then send them out to the struggle. Now, pay attention here. 
especially if you lead others. Paul has just answered the most critical question that Timothy can ever ask as a leader, which is this. What is the most important thing I should be working on? That's the most critical question that a leader can ask of himself or herself. What's the most important thing I should be working on? You ask and you answer that question on an annual, quarterly, monthly, weekly, daily basis. It'll it'll change your leadership uh, probably more than any other question you can ask yourself. Timothy, you need to be about the business of reproducing teachers who will train other teachers. That's what needs to happen. And keep in mind, it's not just about the transfer of knowledge. It's not what we're simply taught. So it's not just gospel content. It's a gospel lifestyle. It's modeling a way of life. It is a life of faith in which I'm called to trust God for everything. The gifts I need for ministry, the insight I need uh, from the word, the wisdom I need for spiritual counsel, the vision I need for the future. Whatever resources I need to do the work that God wants me to do comes from God Timothy is looking to recruit others who will enter into the conflict. He's looking. See, Paul wants Timothy to say, here I am, send me. And Timothy's charge is to recruit others who will also say, here I am, send me. And this, of course, leads us to metaphor number two. The soldier the soldier. So so here's the question. Do I really believe that the gospel is precious enough that I make it my life's intention to recruit others who will get into that foxhole and endure hardship? Endure hardship as a good soldier. Endure hardship with us as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. There's nothing easy about spiritual leadership, okay? Nothing easy at all. The question is this, is the the gospel so precious that I'm going to call people into pain? And, and see, and, and, and we worry about quality of life. You think Paul's worried about quality of life here? Do we really believe the gospel enough to send our children out to endure as missionaries and ministers and servants of the gospel, exposing them to the hazards of gospel ministry? Because of their commitment to Christ? I mean, is the gospel that precious that we would send them knowing full well the sacrifice they're called to make? Let me say this. If God called you, well, if God called your child to endure hardship, how would you respond? Well, I'll just tell you this much. If God calls your child to endure hardship for the sake of the gospel, there is absolutely nothing you can do to stop it. In fact, the more that you try to stop it, 
All you'll be doing is just ensuring it. Yeah. Every now and then, some of you have asked me, Randy, you know, about your two sons, I mean, are you hoping in your heart that maybe they will follow dad's footsteps into, you know, vocational church ministry or ministry of some sort? And, and I'll just tell you, tell you all what I've told uh, others in one-on-one conversations. Um, you know, it's really a calling. And by that, I mean desire, opportunity, and ability. It's my understanding of calling. And so, I mean, my feeling is, is that if I can talk them into it, someone else can talk them out of it. Okay? So, it's a calling. I want them to obey God's calling on their life. That's what I want most. As far as Benjamin's concerned, you know, uh, uh, you know, that he did not choose his father's particular vocational path. I'll be honest with you, there, you know, there was a part of me that was kind of relieved at that because I know the statistics. I just read them to you. And so a part of me wanted to just protect him from that. And so, what did the Lord do? Uh, he sent him into the much safer vocation of law enforcement. That's what he... <laughs> I haven't had to carry a gun in here yet, you know? <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? If God calls your child to endure hardship for the gospel, there's nothing you can do about it because he's not your child. And she's not your child. The child belongs to God. What God wants of that soldier is single-minded devotion. That's what's behind verse 4. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Well, the commanding officer is Jesus. And it's not, the, it's not that the civilian affairs are in and of themselves, and it's not that all of the civilian affairs are in and of themselves sinful. That, that's not it. It's that they're distracting. They're distracting. A good thing can still be a distracting thing. A good thing can still become an idol. And so the question is this. What civilian pursuits are in your life right now that are distracting you from absolute, total focus to your commanding officer, Jesus Christ. What are those? Can you identify them? They're idols. That's what they are. And they need to be destroyed. And they can even be good things, you see. Good thing can distract you from the ultimate thing or person. Hmm. Teacher, soldier, and then Paul says athlete. He's just, he's given us these rapid fire metaphors because he wrote to Timothy and he's expecting Timothy to just get it, you know, because he knows Timothy and he says, I want the, you need to be like an honest athlete. If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. So it's, see, it's not enough simply for you to endure, Timothy, but the manner in which you endure is just as important. And so for the athlete, no cheating, no doping, training according to the rules. And, and uh, what we know in the first century is that Olympic athletes, then they, there was a 10-month preparation. 
So you gotta, you need to be prepared. You need to be ready. What's keeping you from the readiness that you know you need as an honest athlete who competes according to the rules? Huh? How do we cheat ourselves and thus jeopardize the gospel mission? Teacher, soldier, athlete, and then farmer. The hard, not just the farmer, the hardworking farmer. Farmers work hard. And, and they work hard today. And back then they didn't have the technology we have. That word hardworking means toilsome, strenuous, backbreaking, to the point of exhaustion. You know, there's the, there's the preparing of the soil, there's the tilling of the soil, there's the planting the seed into the soil, there's the cultivating, and then there's, the, there's then the, 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 the harvest time, the reaping, and, the, then, and then after the, the harvest, there's the, the gathering, the threshing, the winnowing, there's getting the grain to the market, you see. There's all of this that's going on. It's back-breaking work, hard work. And farmers, you know, it's not like they do this out of inspiration. Oh, I feel inspired today. I'm going to do it. No, they do it because that's what need, they do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. Period. That's how it works. And, you know, farmers don't get carpal tunnel because they have carpal everything. And yet at the same time, the Apostle Paul says the hardworking farmer isn't this interesting? Should be the first to receive a share of the crops. What does that mean? I take it to mean that the farmer eats what the farmer grows. And so by analogy, the gospel farmer needs to make sure that he or she is feeding himself or herself with the spiritual truth that's fed to others, you see. What's this bit about only 25% of pastors not feeding themselves and 75% don't. Well, no wonder they quit early. See? If you're going to endure, I want you to endure by being strengthened with the grace God gives in Jesus Christ. And when that happens, you will look like uh, you will look like a faithful teacher. You will look like a focused soldier. You will look like, uh, look like an honest athlete. And you will look like a hard-working farmer who knows how to feed himself. And that's how I want you to endure. That's the how. Endure by grace. That's what that means, those four word pictures. That's question number one. But Why? Why do we endure? Well, Paul says in verse 10, we endure everything for the sake of the elect. So, so Paul's not suffering for himself. He's enduring for others. I, I want you to endure for others for the sake. See, uh, the, the soldier serves for the sake of the kingdom. The, the, the farmer serves for the sake of the hungry. The athlete serves for the sake of the team. And Paul serves for the sake of others. He endures for that very reason. For the, and he uses the word, for the sake of the elect. For the sake of the elect. And, and, and so here Paul gives us a, a really a great picture of the nature of election. And oh, how we need to be corrected in this, I feel. 
Because so often we look at this word elect and we, we, we kind of get the impression that, okay, uh, before the creation of the world, uh, God uh, you know, made two lists, one naughty list, one nice list, and just decided ahead of time, well, okay, you're going to heaven, you're going to hell. Too bad, so sad. And I really think that we kind of need to have a more mature understanding than that. And the nature of election as I understand it in the Bible, and, and, and a scholar named Timothy Gombus has been so helpful to me on this. Timothy Gombus. This is what he says. Election is about God choosing a particular people from eternity past to save them so that they will be agents of his redeeming love for the world. So when God elects Israel, he doesn't elect Israel just for the sake of Israel. Why did he choose Abraham? So that through you, all nations would be blessed. So God chose Israel to receive his love and to radiate his redemptive love beyond themselves to the nations. That's why God chooses. And that's why God has chosen us in Christ as the new Israel. God doesn't choose us to the exclusion of others. He chooses us so that he will use us so that his redemptive love will flow through us to reach others. And that's Paul's life, isn't it? He is in prison not for himself. He's in prison for the sake of others. God has set himself on a mission to redeem creation, and so he chooses a particular people as agents of his saving love. And if you are in Christ... If you have chosen Christ, you're the chosen. If you've elected Christ, you're the elect. And so now God wants to use you. He wants his redeeming love to flow through you to reach others. So much so, and listen to this, if they become a people who do not purposefully extend God's love beyond themselves, how can they be called the people of God? You see, that's why part of our vision is contagiously influencing our world for him because that is our responsibility. That's our calling. That's our mission in Christ. Paul says, I suffer and I endure for the sake of those who come to Christ and so must we. Endure, Paul says. Endure by grace for the sake of others. I tell you, serving Christ is hard. It's just hard. It's harder than we expected. <laughs> and I'll tell you what that commander told the recruit class. <laughs> I'll put it this way. Right here, right now, in this room, in this place, is the easiest to be a Christian. See? It's just this is the easiest, this is the easiest place right now to be a Christian. Now, in just a minute, we're going to need to leave. And it's going to be harder. It's going to be harder than some of us feel we can endure. And, and we, we get tempted to think there's absolutely no way that this can turn out well. I mean, my life, the only one life that I have is going to end up on a junk pile. I've got to be crazy out here doing this. I'm going to be crazy taking these risks, getting hammered uh, uh, with criticism, paying this price. I gotta be crazy. You know, the truth is, church family, our lives, our congregation is about retelling the story of Jesus' life and death 
and resurrection. And that's what Paul is, that's why Paul says that this is a trustworthy saying. If we've died with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we'll reign with him. Church family, it's a fact Jesus died, and it's a fact Jesus is alive. It's a fact Jesus has endured, and it's a fact Jesus now reigns. And he wasn't crazy. He wasn't. And neither are we. And however it turns out, however it turns out, God is going to take care of us. So remind yourself you're not crazy. This is truth. Now endure. Endure by grace for the sake of others. That's the word today. Amen? All right, here's what we're going to do. First of all, we're going to stand.